This podcast is made possible by the generous support of Reillusion, makers of iClone and Character Creator. G'day and welcome to the VFX show. I'm Mike Seymour and I'm joined by my co-hosts, starting with Jason Diamond. How are you, sir? I'm great. You know, just and the one, here on the East Coast. And the one and the only, Matt Wallen. How are you, Matt? I'm doing okay. I'm keeping it real, as they say. We are back for 2022 and we're keen to talk to you guys about the book of Boba Fett. Uh, a TV show that's just as we're recording this finished its uh, final ep to air, uh, which was in my case last night. I don't know where you guys are at, but um, we're, we get it slightly earlier, I think, than you do, because it, or at least we get you, it. Because you live evening. in the future. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> so let's work our way around the room and start by what we think of this television uh, extension to the Star Wars uh, galaxy. And Jason, do you actually like uh, the show? Did you like Mandalorian? I guess we probably just connect those two questions. I I did like Mandalorian quite a bit, uh, both from a technical standpoint and from a you know storytelling standpoint. I think Disney sort of got into this interesting uh, pacing thing that they've set up with Mandalorian that flowed over into Boba Fett of this much slower storytelling I think because they tried to do the, you know, old Wild West kind of Sergio Leone vibe and everything has like breathes a lot more there. So I think they were trying to do that. It works sometimes and sometimes it doesn't. Everyone acts a little slower than maybe they should. The pacing in the shots is a little slower. Uh, but I don't think it translated as well to Boba Fett. I, th But I think it's mostly a writing thing. Like... Because it all comes down to, it all comes down, I mean, it all starts at the writing, right? I mean, the direction I'm, I'm is... I'm going to take enormous issue with you later in the show. That's right. Let's just put a pin in that. We yeah, think yeah. it's the writing. Yeah, Matt, yeah. What did well, you think? Well, I mean, I it starts with the writing, of course. You know, it all flows downhill from there, but... Yeah, so uh, I guess I, you know, I would say I grew up... Um, uh, I was born in 1970, so I was seven when Star Wars came out. Came out, and I think people who know uh, me probably know that I'm a pretty was a pretty big Star Wars fan as a kid. Um, <clears throat> and you know, I, I uh, have it's what started for so many of us. I think this interest in these careers and visual effects and stuff like that. You know, for uh, some generations previous, maybe it was 2001: A Space Odyssey or um, you know, some earlier, uh, you know, Ray Harryhausen films or whatever. And I, I'm surprised, uh, I would say that, <laughs> wow. I would say that this is the first uh, thing I've seen that I actually, am not sure it, it, this actually makes me not like star Wars very much. I, okay. I think that this, uh, this particular endeavor, um, was a, a great idea with a, a great, premise with a really intriguing uh potential character and I, I think it was really there were some interesting moments and the some of the visual effects were pretty cool but um and it follows that same production template uh obviously of the mandalorian but i feel like 
it was a huge missed opportunity and like a, I think a really flat, dull, boring, um, <laughs> and very, I think juvenile, uh, storytelling endeavor. Well, I, I'm going to side with Matt on this one. I actually think that it was not the writing, it was the direction. And I, I mean, I don't know this, I'm not speaking from a position of fact, but uh, Rodriguez directed the episodes I hated and they just kept on reminding me of Spy Kids meets yeah. Back to the Future. Mm -hmm. um, it felt even in the final ep, in the middle of the final ep, like I was watching some uh, greatest American hero, uh, Miami Vice, uh, 80s TV show. It was yeah. just appallingly directed, in my opinion. I, um, I Good for a kid's show, maybe, but like... Yeah. Uh, Whereas Mandel was, uh, The Mandalorian was something that I just adored. And I did like episode five that he didn't direct. Or was it five? Anyway, the one with uh, the second last one, I guess. Um, Bryce, Bryce Dallas Howard did five and Dave Filoni did six. Okay. So five and six were just terrific. Yeah. And you know and, why? Because Mandalorian was in it. <laughs> no, no, it was the direction. After well, she that directed too. Episode, that too. No, after she directed episode five, I posted on Twitter, get her to direct every other episode of this series for the rest yeah. of time. But I've got to tell you, like uh, when I was watching like some of the scenes, especially the fight scenes, like it was just such hokey camera work. Yeah, like, the coverage is not good. And to prove me a point that it wasn't Manda, like there's a scene in the final sequence where there's this giant killer robot that can presumably shoot through its own force field because it mm -hmm. could back in uh, whatever that was, episode one. Yeah, the battle droids, um, yeah. Yeah, and it's got Mandau right in front of him. What does Mandau do? He runs straight down the middle of a road in broad daylight. Like, I'm sorry, like A, that's a very unflattering angle, slightly high of a guy of a certain age running, sort of looking over his shoulder. It's just like an unattractive way to 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 run on a way to film him running. It was like, he should have, if, if the droid could do anything, it would blast him to, to, yeah. you know, could I, add, and, could I add to that? Your, if also the entire firefight, they're shooting the force fields nonstop yeah. and, and yeah, coming good. up with ways to like get to higher angles. So, so Sophie Thatcher can shoot from a higher angle at the force field, yeah. I, which I would, does nothing. I was thinking, I was thinking about it after watching it. And I, my thought was that I really felt like what I, that final episode in particular, I would absolutely agree. I think it was, it, it felt like I was watching like an adult child uh, play with their toys yeah, and yeah. like tell a story that like I would have told when I was seven, you know, like in my mm -hmm. bedroom on the carpet or whatever. And you could have it, filmed with a super eight camera in your bedroom at seven and it would have been more interesting. Yeah. And I, I just feel like it was like a, there, I didn't care. I didn't care at all about yeah. like the characters about, I didn't care if anybody was in jeopardy. It just felt like it was this kind of cute, like, you know, toy uh, marketing uh, commercial. And, and here's the thing for a show that should have a really killer budget. There's a bit at the beginning, which is just such poor either writing direction or everything. And the scene is they're in the, uh, the, the now assumed bunker mm -hmm. of the blown up um, casino. Yeah. And there's an entire exposition speech, oh God. which is so hokey. As she says, we have people positioned all over town. Yeah. And then they say the five people that they have positioned all over yes. town. And then they and show. We show each of yeah. these five people. And it's like, for a start, for somebody that's meant to be like a uh, conquering, uh, effectively 
hoodlum, you know, kind of godfather type figure. He has only five friends. And of these five friends, like two of them go and stand together and another one stands over here, another one stands over here, and they say, no one will get past us. Well, I'm sorry. Like for a start, this is an entire city. You go and stand on one side of like, let's pick a small city, San Francisco. I put one person on one side of San Francisco and one person on the other. They're not going to cover the North and the South. The the, the worst part of that is they spend all that time on the exposition. And sadly, they give it all to Ming-Na to do deliver throughout the whole series as his consigliere. She's constantly being like, well, you know, in the past, Boba Fett did this. And you're like, when they had the meetings of the five families, you're just like, I'm going to shoot somebody right now. Okay, but, now the five families, but, I wanted to shoot myself. Yeah, that was just horrendous. Yeah, ter- but that's terrible writing. It, that's what Here's I keep saying. Ultimatum. It's coming my down to writing. The direction me. just makes bad writing worse. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, like, yeah, but I mean, there are scenes that don't have terrific dialogue that are brilliantly acted by yeah. people, but there was no threat. There was no, it no. was like, here's my, here's my threat to you guys. You need to join me. No. Okay. Right then. Well, then what you need to do is not side with the other guys. Okay, you idiot. We'll agree to say that. Great. Well, I completely yeah. trust you. I mean, yeah. it, was, it was, if you'd hit your head against the table, it would have been a more pleasant experience. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I, yeah. Um, can I add that? I think this is the first time uh, that my kid, I watched with my kid and he said, during the whole Rancor thing, which I thought was fun that they brought the Rancor out for that, whatever. Okay, cool, little, like, fun time thing. And the Danny Trejo nod, you know, as the trainer. But once the Rancor started just destroying the town, it just felt like a Marvel movie. Like, it just felt like, oh, the Hulk is going to just destroy. Well, I just mean in in the destruction stand, you know, destruction category just can i just point out to that that poor creature comes out and saves their butt by ripping apart the droids and then the next shot they're firing on it well they didn't know they were on the other side of town they were where the other one was but still it's clunky storytelling because they just don't know who's what and you're just like the whole time we were just saying stop shooting the fucking like force fields and then i thought he was climbing to do a king kong impersonation total king kong And I'm like, no, you don't, you don't, you have not earned that. And, and Matt, not with reckon? a rancor. Anyway. Well, they do that yeah. same shot where it's climbing that tower. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's literally like the, yeah, but then know, it the does the whole the, side shot where it yeah. kind of like leans back with the one arm and does the thing, yeah. you know, it's like. I guess I, I, I sort of feel like, you know, that final episode really was the coup de grace of the, of the season of, um, and they, I, some of the ideas I think were kind of interesting, like the whole thing with the, the that he um, uh, gets with the tribe of the Tuscan Raiders or mm-hmm. whatever, you know, it was kind of interesting. And that sort of lore of the indigenous peoples or whatever, I think was kind of cool. But then, uh, you know, overall, I do think that, you know, not. And there were some well-directed sequences. There were certainly are some really interesting visual effects that we can talk about. But I do think that the the writing and the 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 planning for the arc of the season. Yeah, the approach. Um, yeah. yeah, feels so. I feel like they're they're doing they were doing this show. They're doing still. I assume the Mandalorian, the other show with the the woman with the the skin things on her head and 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 the Obi-Wan Kenobi thing. And there's so much things that they're, 
that they're doing. I just feel like they're spread so thin. At least that's, you know, that's all I'm going to guess that whatever it is that they did in terms of planning this uh, show, uh, I don't know. It, was, it felt I mean, like I'm, every time, so every cynical. time, every time Boba Fett was like gonna, the character was gonna, he say, he would say something and he would plan something his uh, consigliere would say, like you were saying, she would say like, well, no, you should probably do this. And then he would be like, no, I'm going to do this. And then he'd do what she said later. Yeah, like no, it was, we, we it was like, like, give her control of the city. Cause she's got some, yeah. some now. Yeah, he but, was, he was a totally uninteresting, like uninspired, like moron. Yeah. Like he, I, I mean, know, he should have stayed in the, in the Sarlacc. Pit, Honestly, if you all. told me tomorrow <laughs> that you picked up the Hollywood reporter and it said they were doing a review and they got to episode four and went, this is a disaster. Quick, grab the first two eps of Mando and stick it in while we try and solve this. I would, I would have no trouble believing it. Well, that's yeah. what I said that, to my kid. Why is, why wasn't this Mandalorian season three yeah. with, with Boba Fett as a guest? instead of the other way around we're, we're getting into like three's company territory with like where they all of a sudden it was like you know crossing over into the other uh well, the other series you know like as guests it's, on yeah the show. and it's kind of star wars holiday special too yeah. where you've got the like kind of like ruth buzzy character uh and the I, amy I like sedaris a, you know it's I like, like a fan not as much as the next person but it doesn't make up for bad writing and direction like yeah. just sticking in something for the fans that we haven't seen for a while in of itself doesn't make for you know gripping television hey um that being all said, right? We're the VFX show, not the we yes. hate bad writing show. <laughs> so, um, so in this disaster of a series, there are some spectacularly good visual effects. And of course, you know what I'm going to be going for here. Um, I'm going to be going for that episode where uh, Luke appears and not just mm-hmm. appear, but has a, a major on-screen presence um, in one of the best looking de-aging slash digital uh, face replacement doubles I've, I've seen yet on air. Um, so having just slammed the show for the first part of our show, let's swing our attention to the VFX team who I'm not slamming because I do think their work was really, really good. Um, so, so let's go there because I think that is the most impressive visual effect of the entire season. Um, were you anticipating anything like that? And if you were, um, were you expecting it to be like it was at the end of Mandalorian where we saw a brief uh, Luke Skywalker or were you expecting to see this kind of level stuff? Jason? Um, I mean, it was definitely a surprise. I think it was a welcome surprise from the from the everything we just said to be like, oh, let's get away from that to people that we like really want to see and care about. Uh, plus you get Grogu and and Ahsoka and the whole thing, which starts to tip into the whole, uh, you know, uh, Knights of Ren later tying, if you want to tie it into the sequels or whatever. Anyway, I was astounded at how reserved they went with it. He didn't have a ton of dialogue. They smartly made very keen choices on when you're going to see his lips move and his mouth move when you're not. It didn't feel like they were cutting around it. It felt very natural. The blocking was good. The the um and I guess they hired the YouTube kid who did the deep fake after Mando, right? That's what I heard. Uh, they did hire the guy who did the deep fake after yeah. Mando. They haven't publicly said how they've done stuff. I'm gonna guess 
for I you mean, in a second. I'm Not using the word deep fake just because that's what he did. I'm sure, you know, obviously the kid's talented and they brought him in to do whatever their process is. But uh, it was, it felt just very natural, really well done. And considering that they've been trying that in a bunch of the project, you know, projects from super digital like Gramoff Tarkin all the way up through Leia Luke in varying stages. And then the Mando one as in terms of chronologically how they've been doing it. I, I thought it was, you know, very well written. All that stuff of the, you know, uh, Yoda Luke kind of training. Uh, someone even pointed out that the bag that he carries Grogu in is the bag that he uses to take all of his stuff out when he first crashes on Dagobah, same kind of blue bag. So like all these tiny little nods to just tie it all together. It was just really, really smartly done. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you like what you said about the blocking, the way that they set up, like, how are we going to shoot a young, youngish uh, Jedi era Luke in this, um, context it it that was the one thing i noticed too like right away you're like wow that looks pretty good and then the way it's shot where you only are seeing maybe like you know him from the knees down and you're seeing the baby yoda character and you're hearing his voice uh which sounded great which i think was also a digital uh recreation of the voice if i'm not mistaken taken from uh earlier recordings but um uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was really impressive. And then the few times that they did show him talk, you know, they, he wasn't, he was being very, you know, sort of Zen Jedi. So he wasn't doing all these really big exaggerated movements. Um, uh, when, at least when we're looking, um, primarily at his face and we're looking for him to be emoting or to be speaking or communicating something. And I think that served it really well in terms of the believability of it. Like it's probably the best for my money, it's probably the best, um, you know, double uh, or sort of de-aging version of that kind of thing that I've seen uh, come out of, uh, uh, that I know of, I should say, come out of ILM <laughs> so far. Yeah, so I, I'm going to give you my opinion on how they did this, given that I don't know how they did this and ILM has not released how they've done this. Uh, one of our colleagues actually at ILM posted saying, if you don't know how we did this, don't bloody... He didn't say that, but it was basically like, shut up if you don't know what you're talking about. Um, but I don't know what I'm talking about, so I'm going to go anyway. Uh, so for a start, you're absolutely right. It was, and I can, that is confirmed, um, revoiced by re-speecher in the Ukraine. So they did the de-aging of his voice. Um, they also did the de-aging of Luke's voice in the Mandalorian episode earlier. Uh, and, and it's very convincing to take uh, the actual voice uh, of the actor today and then de-age it so it sounds like the actor's voice uh, did when he was doing the 77 uh you know around that 1980 period so are they um, using that, like like uh frequency analysis and all that kind of stuff audio wise to sort of change the pitch slightly change the grit slightly i no, mean it's I, actually I don't it's know. machine learning no it's machine learning it infers the audio uh waveform if you like it, it, it's um it's a spectral yeah. Uh, thing that uses deep learning, not like a frequency kind of response right. thing that you would, you can't dial it in so much as you do. Uh, you train on Recreate what it. the voice would, yeah, and yeah. Then it, it infers the um, the output. And so, so 
but if you that's a that's a fact and we know that because they've got end credits in the uh, in the actual title sequence uh, at the end of the show so then you get to the character that has to look like luke and have that voice and if you think about it for a second that poses two problems because firstly um the we know that the actor that you're seeing the body of wasn't mark hamilton because mark uh guy who doubles him effectively for this has gone public and said, finally, I can talk about it. And Mark himself thanked this guy for sort of mimicking his mannerisms. So, so that's plausible that somebody could, you know, in a manner walk like uh, Mark Hamilton as he was playing Luke. And then you'd face replace that the complexity comes from the fact that if you face replace him, um, you have to face replace him with effectively uh, a younger version of Mark Hamill, which is not quite what a deep fake is, because a deep fake would say, oh, well, we're just going to drive this digital face, but we might train that digital face first. And it's kind of like a three-way thing, if you think about it, like because they're going from Mark to young Mark to actor, not just me mimicking some yeah. actor like it's not like you're converting that actor into saying something that he didn't otherwise say and it's not like you're just lifting my face and putting it on his body kind of thing mm -hmm. um and i've got two theories as to how they're doing that uh, one is that he's just lip syncing the the words and then um they are just uh, inferring the middle step and the other one is that they're doing an interim 3d step where they're actually getting the lip sync in 3d and then their neural rendering which is the correct term neural rendering the digital inference on, from the 3D model. Because if you think about it, if you get a pretty good 3D model and then you infer on top of that, you get the right lip sync um, and you get everything from it because the computer can train on the digital face and just use what we call synthetic data uh, to do that. But I, I am in line apparently <laughs> to actually get an interview with the guys to work out how they actually did it. And I certainly hope we can. Can I roll the it. dice on my bet? I might, yep. before we know what it actually is, based on what you just said of the options, I'm going with the 3D model uh, option, where what you just said the second. Yep. Uh, that seems based on what I saw, because that's of course in the in the previous iterations of this we've seen them do. It always is the mouth that gives it away, and this one was the best version of that, but there was still just a little because of course now everyone's looking for it. Like, you know, normally people didn't know that actor X, whatever was in a movie uh, to Matt's point when he said that I know of, right? Like we don't, they could be, have tested it on 20 characters you didn't know and have no frame of reference for and you wouldn't see it as much as you would on like the guy who could be your brother, you mm -hmm. know, because you know him so well out of, from the movies that, so you're looking for all this, um, the different differentials in the face. And I, that's why I lean, I lean to the 3D potential because it was just a little tiny bit of stuff in the lips and whatever. And the stuff I've seen online of, of more, not what ILM does, but the internet deep fake thing seems to get solved much better with just the straight neural rendering. Yeah, well, stuff. there's a couple of things here, right? Firstly, uh, most of the stuff on the internet, like a huge proportion of it, uses deep fake labs. Yeah. And deep fake labs is the thing that you'll see being used to do um, fake Tom Cruise. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you look at that footage, it's nearly always, nearly always straight to camera. Yep. It just doesn't work very well when you get to the side of camera. And so 
So when people have guessed that they, I mean, they did hire the guy that did the uh, the online um, fan version of doing the deep fake onto Luke's face, but he did it on the front on shot of Luke facing the camera, right? And so if you're using deep fakes labs, that would be the shot to do it on because it works best. Having said that, it's very unlikely that ILM used that or that alone because they wouldn't have been able to do the host of other shots that mm-hmm. were in the show, like from the side. Now, I'm, I'm in a process at the moment of working on a feature film that's using an enormous amount of um, neural rendering. So I'm like, you know, super knee deep in this. But we developed our own independent, like a month ago or two, we developed our own technique of using that 3D um, stuff. And you would have... I can't discuss the film project yet, but if you were watching the stuff that I was posting about about end of last year, um, you'll know that we were very enthusiastic about um, uh, the stuff that was happening in NVIDIA with audio to voice. Mm -hmm. You can download that right now and it'll take audio and then it'll produce in a static 3D head, the lips moving in a very distinctive um, lip sync kind of way. And then you've got emotional sliders at the side. So you can make it a bit happier or a bit sadder and kind of like the face looks like. Um, Pin screen in Los Angeles has the same technology. Like there's a number of companies that independently have developed very good audio to lip sync mm-hmm. abilities for 3D. But for you guys listening, don't be thinking that we're seeing the 3D because the 3D is an interim step. Mm-hmm. Look, maybe in the case when we were using it, it was a grayscale. We didn't care about skin texture. We didn't care yep, about yep. subsurface scattering. All of that was being thrown away. We just wanted how the lips moved. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the inference uh, gave us the optical characteristics from the hero shot, not from the source shot, because of course the source shot, the one that is that 3D, you never see those pixels. They are just teaching. They're drivers, the yeah. Exactly. And it's picking up the lighting and the skin characteristics from the um, from the end one. So. So I think that's how ILM's done it. And I'm really keen to talk to them. I really think they deserve um, a lot of, um, uh, you know, like Emmy, Emmy Awards and stuff for this. The, the thing I'll also say is I think it was so phenomenally successful that a ton of other producers around town are going to suddenly jump on this and say, yeah. oh, my God, that looks good. Um, it doesn't look obviously to someone outside the craft, I think, like a fake. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like most people on the street would know that obviously Mark Hamill isn't that young, but if you didn't know the actor and you didn't know what was going on and you saw that, you'd be like, yeah, okay. And a number of companies, um, there's one in London at the moment uh, that actually has Chris in it who did the um, the deep fakes of uh, um, Tom Cruise. They just got 7.5 mil to startup money and they are um, looking at using this, for example, in games. So right, if you've got right. football stars kicking around your football and your, okay, soccer, football, whatever, <laughs> which you country in. Um, but video game, you get pretty crappy, yeah. gamey faces. And then mm-hmm. on top of that, you you infer the um, the actual athletes' faces. So I, there's going to be just a tidal wave of this stuff, I reckon, unleashed. Because the second you get something as high profile as that looking as good as that, um, a lot of people, I reckon, are going to keep knocking on the door. I anyway. think one of the things, just uh, just to add, uh, just another thought onto that, like just one of the things about this particular example from uh, this show, the the '80s Luke Skywalker, um, that I think was really successful too. And I I'm kind of curious, like where does this piece kind of come into play when you look back at 
um, the Tarkin and Leia from Rogue One, mm -hmm. which I believe were mostly 3D, if not all 3D, yep. right? Mm -hmm. yep. um, you know, there's a kind of a Botoxy kind of quality <laughs> to some of the the face, right? It it doesn't have the sort of I don't even I mean we I know we've sort of alluded to this. It's sort of a philosophical question about what is it that makes something look alive, and you know, there I think there are subtle things that I see in this Luke performance in a couple of the shots in particular, where it's, you can see thinking almost happening in the character. And I don't know if that's coming from some of the deep fake stuff or some of the, you know, interim step that you're describing, but there is like a, there's almost like there's thinking happening within the context of that character in the way that like, the eyes move, the head turns, they're moving in, in an asynchronous fashion that feels like what it looks like when you're speaking to someone. But that's because you're using not... a real actor yeah. to do that. Exactly. I mean, it's, all, exactly. it's all real eyes and real heads. It's just mixed. Yeah, but it yields, well, but, but I, that's what I'm saying. I guess it yields. Inferred. Well, it yeah, yields, I'm, I'm, I'm being it basic It yields about a it, more but... successful and believable yeah. 100%. result. Absolutely. Than the all three D. If an actor does something, a combination of seven things, maybe right. that he, when he's thinking, that he, in this case, it's a he, he's thinking and he looks a certain way and his eyes focus mm -hmm. at a certain point in space and he has a certain like little twitch in the corner. And all of those seven little combinations that we find hard to isolate and verbalize, statistically, it just says, oh well when this guy is doing this kind of thing, these are all these things that are happening with the pixels. Of course, it has no understanding of the idea of him thinking. It just replicates what he did when he thought. And so by accident, if you like, it produces an output where it looks like he's thinking. Um, so you're but absolutely it, it right. It feels to me like it's the, it is kind of part of the really important DNA of this mm -hmm. type of process that does cross the uh, you know the uncanny valley like it gets you a like a great distance over that chasm i think in a way that it's really subtle but when you see it and you're like wait you know it can't be real because like you know mark hamill's much older now but you see it and you're like wow that's that's really pretty great i was also thinking while you were saying that does do we think i mean outside of this the work being stellar regardless do we think that it was helped by the fact that there weren't any other straight up regular humans in the shots, right? You had Ahsoka who has like, you know, she has a human face, obviously. She's no nothing there, but, you know, digital and or prosthetic things. You have Mandalorian, you can't see his face at all. And you have Grogu who is either a puppet or a CG. And I also want to call that out that that is some of the most stellar work. You cannot tell. I don't think unless he's doing like gross movements and even then you kind of can't tell uh you really just think like could a would a puppeteer be standing there at that time to do that is really the only way you can kind of determine when it's cg or when it's a puppet and so are all of those things helping uh without having a direct humanistic reference on screen against luke could be <laughs> so Okay, so I don't know this, but why do we think they didn't also neurally infer uh, Baby Yoda? I mean, they may have. I mean, I, I don't... Because the thing is, it doesn't care what it's looking at, right? Right. So if you want to get the properties of the puppet in the digital, you right. get the digital, 
And then you just do an inference from the puppet stuff, right. which of course you'd have heaps of footage of, and it would produce optical characteristics on the digital that made it look like the puppet. Because I think in my opinion, um, it looked real, but it looked real in the real sense of it being a puppet. Right. Now, I went back and looked at Yoda's fight sequence that mm -hmm. Rob Coleman animated uh, from the second Star Wars um, Attack of the Clones. Yeah. I think this was much more believable animation, much better um, just emotional storytelling, right? Because mm -hmm. he was uh, suddenly managing to get a character that was using a walking stick to be the, you know, Tasmanian tiger bouncing around, having this incredible fight. And I just was cheering for the darn guy. Um, but it didn't look very real in the sense of I didn't believe it to be a physical thing in a physical room, um, as I did not believe a lot of things, right? Like a lot of the, um, the uh, you know, Imperial Stormtroopers look pretty bad. But anyway, the it was, you know, many years ago when I made it. But, <laughs> but if you look at Yoda himself, just taking it out of, context mm -hmm. from the timeline um he he looked better animated because of course rob's tools allowed better animation but just didn't have any physical properties and right. so in this case we've gone the other way but also with an infant and i think that also helps us enormously because the infant has a lack of balance a mm -hmm. lack of kind yeah. of uh and exaggerated features yeah uh -huh. and so but i mean yeah you could I mean, there's just no reason why you couldn't yeah. get a car and say, hey, my car looks pretty darn good, but it doesn't look as good as the, you know, photographed one we've got here. And then infer from the real car onto a digital car. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that we're doing it with faces is obvious, but the computer doesn't care. The computer right. doesn't know it's a face. It's not doing eye tracking or right. expression tracking or facts. None of that that, that plays. That, that reminds me of of the sort of anecdote from when they, were developing the digital Yoda for the prequels and they had the puppet and they had the, the digital double and they, they couldn't quite like, they felt like they nailed it on everything. They're like, but when we animate it, it's just not, there's something missing and we don't know what it is. Right. And they went back and looked at all the footage from uh, empire and Jedi. And what they realized was when Frank Oz's hand was in the puppet, because he's a human and he can't be totally still the ears and and extremities would have these micro vibrations in them that you couldn't quite see but they were they made it feel alive and once they added that that noise layer to the puppet to the digital puppet they were like <gasps> you know Yoda works like he told I mean granted you know he's CG but he but he works so much better uh when you have that added which you would find in the in the inference model right because the computer would pick up all that stuff right yeah having said that there is um there are a whole new set of artifacts we have to learn in the inferencing world because so imagine for a second that we were doing vertical lines old school and we were getting an interference pattern um back in the day when you you the three of us were, <laughs> were doing things in uh in earlier technology um, you know, like it'd be like, oh, well, we don't have quite enough, enough resolution. So sometimes the Venetian blind falls on one pixel and sometimes it falls on the yeah. other pixel and it kind of seems to vibrate. There's an equivalency to that in your rendering sometimes when the neural rendering can't quite decide whether it's this pixel or that pixel. And, and it doesn't tend to have a lot of temporal consistency because it's solving it on a per frame basis. And so it's like, I think it's this, 
I think it's that. I think it's this. I think it's that. And so uh, on completely still characters that aren't moving at all, you can almost get that kind of uh, faint kind of interference pattern. And so if you watch neural renders, um, the best of them are when they're moving and the worst of them are actually when they're like right. dead still. It kind of feels that like optical said, flow errors every, you know, when you, you just when yeah, see optical yeah, flow errors because that's a per frame thing too. And then there are other things like you get softening because you tend to, on any statistical analysis of something, go a bit more for the mean than you do for the outliers. And so if you've got a, um, like a characteristic outlier, it could be a single hair or something or a amount of, um, you know, a, a five o'clock shadow or something, and it's not quite matching. And it's like, well, yeah, because you're kind of getting the average from, our, from when he was a bit shaved and a bit less shaved. And so you're mm -hmm. kind of getting mixed shaved rather than the precision of on that day, this was exactly the amount. Uh, assuming, of course, that you're sampling across, um, you know, pre-existing footage as opposed to getting an actor to come in for the day to do stuff. Um, and then highlights, you know, on teeth and stuff, like is that a teeth highlight or is it a lip gloss highlight? You know, these are things that the computer isn't trying to determine in a segmentation sense, but it is having a little bit of trouble with because it's no way to know whether that sparkly thing should be or should be not appearing at the same moment that a tooth is appearing because right. it has no uh, temporal cohesion either. So it's just a whole new language, I think, that supervisors are going to have to get across to um, to come up with the and fine tuning for stuff. Can you, can you, in that segmentation, could you feed it masks? And say this is a lip, this is a tooth, this is a. I mean, uh, I know not it... in the not in the neural render. Like it's actually it's a really interesting area. Like the this, and I'm going to segue now into volumetric capture. I did a thing recently yeah. on FX about that, and like, uh, and that sort of was in the same boat in that you were just getting these huge data dumps of like, I'm going to get a frame at this point of time with a person in the 3D volume, and then now people are like polygonalizing and producing temporal consistency between like say 10 and hundred frames. And then because I've got multiple cameras, they're using machine learning to uh, infer that these things are the same material, mm -hmm. hence the same material properties. Hence, if you want to change the specularity of that material, you could do it and it would look like you did the belt, even though it's maybe not accurately identifying the belt in all of its kind of, Right. 3D sense, but it kind of identifies that as a segmentation. And I think we're going to see that next, the next generation of neural renders will have that additional overlay of, which we haven't seen yet, of sort of machine learning segmentation interlocking with, um, with uh, inference stuff. But I mean, put it this way, like ILM will do whatever it takes to get something really good on the screen. Mm -hmm. And so if... I, I don't know, again, haven't spoken to them, but I imagine that they got it like 98% there with the neural rendering and then some kick-ass new compositors came in and like, you know, finished yeah. the shot. Like they're not doing a technical exercise for a SID graph paper here, right? If there were some yeah, glitches or some moments, yeah. they'd just solve it, right? Why wouldn't they? They've got some of the best artists in the world. So yeah, it's, it's not a pure thing that we're looking at uh, and it could change on a per-shot basis, obviously. But yeah, I mean, that being said, the fact that you can do that and it's not very expensive, that's another thing. It's not like, right. you know, it's, it's, uh, it's not a room full time. of people. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, um, I, it's be huge. Can, can we talk about the LED volume and how we think that worked on this? Uh, 
or how well it worked in certain certain areas do we it seems like the most espa set was not inside the volume right because it's pretty big and i know their volume is massive but the sets were pretty big i mean i grant i know they can extend them and what have you but there was enough sand and sort of wall around people i mean it's possible they crammed it in there but it seemed like they were on location somewhere for you know just for some city street stuff i could be wrong um there's obviously plenty of like the desert stuff where you can tell, you know, I thought there was some like nighttime firelight stuff that was clearly in the volume that looked really nice. That's really hard to do with getting, you know, good black levels on the panels. Um, I think for me, the in intentional attempt to replicate bright sunlight uh was not successful in I'm a totally lot of it, it was that. just it felt like you were in a really bright studio that's the achilles heel of volumes, yeah right? yeah it was just so i mean the wall does what it does but it's you know then you're just using light like you know physical lights like to just blast the people with it, it just doesn't have the diffused properties that the sun has even though you get hard light on people it's a different hard light than a coming from a light right then it's coming from like the sun through the atmosphere on a cloudy day or not uh i feel like the you know the stuff in the, the like the location stuff in the uh java's palace i thought worked well you know stuff out the windows and you know sort of more practical uses but yeah the desert stuff in the first few episodes is really tough for me I mean, yeah. So I was talking to for an FX guide thing we just wrote on um, on June about what they did yeah. for that, and they got to the point that they you know they connected two sound stages in Budapest and they cut a giant hole in the silks, so that when they had the uh, characters in the in that kind of uh, entryway to the X um, atmospheric factory, that they could get harsh sunlight and harsh shadows, um, and they could shoot for only two hours a day because for two hours a day, they had light above them that gave them the dark shadows and the bright light and parallel light, which of course is what you were referring to. Yeah. Um, and that's it, they, like two hours a day and then they, that, was, that was done. Well, you can't do that on an episodic budget, no. right? You can't, no. like, we're only gonna shoot for two hours a day, guys. And the rest of the time, we don't care. Um, and you just cannot fake. We shot um, with FX PhD a miniature, which would have been an oil rig outside. And we were in a big studio in Queensland and we put a hundred thousand watt uh, super sun up in the top corner of the studio, <laughs> um, and then we shot in the other corner of the studio to try and get as much parallel light hitting the miniature as possible. Um, and a hundred thousand watt light—I'm not making that number up. Uh, you would put sunglasses on. I mean, it's so. I've bright. seen it at Cinegear. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, but it's not that it's bright; it's that it's far away and bright. Yeah. And so you get decent levels on the other side of the studio, but it's hopefully fairly parallel still doesn't look like sunlight though yeah um yeah. so you'd have had to in an led volume you just Gotta have no roof dusk magic hour <laughs> overcast yeah yeah what did you think man i mean i thought it you know overall like it you know it it as a technique like 
uh, once you're kind of conscious of it, I think you can kind of tell a lot of the time, like what's going on when, not always, but uh, certainly in, I think the shots you're describing, daylight, uh, outdoors. Um, but I mean, I think overall, like it's, it's cool. I mean, they're able to create these massive, uh, you know, sets and uh, whatnot in a virtual capacity mm -hmm. and be able to move around and adjust, you know, all the, the lighting to fit whatever whatever it is they want to have happening within the context of a given scene i mean it's i just think it's really awesome it's such an a weirdly um feels like a real kind of old school kind of solution uh to problems that have been vexing in visual effects for a long time and it's the it's ultimate the, rear projection yeah and the, <laughs> the cost savings uh part of it and the i think you know, the, the one thing I feel like I've, I've heard it talked about a couple of times, but I think it's one of the coolest things about it too, is, you know, the potential, um, I mean, if you've ever been on a movie set, which we've all been on movie sets at the end of the shoot, the giant piles of garbage that are going to a landfill somewhere. I mean, it can be, uh, I mean, just massive truckloads of, uh, you know, styrofoam and, you know, plywood and whatever it is. Uh, and I think that's one of the really cool things about this technology too, is the, I mean, you know, you could say, well, the electricity and the things that go into the, you know, the, the cells on the <clears throat> panels or whatever. But I think that that environmental uh, savings yeah, no, is the, one of the, the coolest pipes. things too. Yeah, no, I can read. Yeah, completely. I've not, I actually haven't thought of that, but you're absolutely right. Have you guys seen the new Jack Reacher TV show? No. I've seen a couple episodes of it, yeah, with the... Okay, I've heard so, good things about it. Yeah, no, I really like it. Uh, Spin did it um, in Toronto and in Atlanta. And an old uh, mate of mine, I was talking to him for an upcoming story about it. Here's the thing. You remember on this show, um, like several years ago, we used to say that the... Um, that the sort of uh, litmus test for the visual effects, whether they could just get a decent out-the-window shot mm -hmm. on a driving. And I used to say... I just, you know, they never freaking fool me and they're always ridiculous and there's, the focus is wrong and the exposure is wrong. So I'm talking to them and he goes, oh, yeah, every single car shot in the entire show was on an LED stage that Spin has from uh, their division called Rotate, I think it is. And I was like, what? And I, like, I had not picked it. <laughs> and I was like, I watched it on a giant screen uh, you know, with the lights down, like paying, I wasn't watching it on a, on a computer monitor or on my phone. And yet I'm like, okay, I'm that, that was good because yeah, every, so I would say if you do it properly, traveling shots like those are oh, just yeah. so much better than what a great screen. use of that technology too. Mm -hmm. to, it's like solving that life, that sort of, uh, decades long problem of the really shitty in car shot. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think that's a really big deal. They do a little bit of that um, in the uh, in this uh, new series. I guess it's with the Mandalorian character and his his new ship. Well, that's no, also with those... Um, those the Naboo uh, ship, yeah. Oh, I was going to say the crappy kids with the crappy uh, uh, scooters. The, with the, the Quadrophenia. The yeah, Quadrophenia. The, the teen, the teen I wish, Titans. I wish it was Quadrophenia. The mods. Good. They called them the mods. Uh, and the, yeah, they had all the things on. and... Yeah, I I, I, I get the reference. No, I mean, I, I love I, it, right? I knew you'd get it right away, but I 
Yeah, because uh, they've got modifications and yeah. UK mods. And trust yeah. me, scooters with lots of um, yeah. mirrors. Red, and I've got the la- you know the t-shirts, right? I've got the whole thing. Except yeah. the thing is, the mods and Quadrophenia in particular, they weren't rich kids, right? Yeah. They put every money that, that they had it, but these kids look like they're they're you know college uh, trust fund kids. And in the show, I'm sorry, getting back to the plot, in the show they're meant to be like, you know, <laughs> yeah. poor and out of work, and yet they have the most souped-up, polished, mm-hmm. and and also that chase sequence with the guy yeah. um, so and the bad. mayor is not there is just <laughs> like, and... It felt, like it, was, it, was, it felt like it was from another intellectual property, like all that stuff. I was like, wait, what? Like, I think he used the word this, intellectual generously. Yeah. Is this, is this like a new ride at like, you know, some Disney park where you're going to get the on problem your scooter is, and go in circles? And like, the problem so is dumb. that they, they were, I don't, I mean, I'm sure they did doubles of them, but it felt like they tried really hard not to. And it felt like they were on arms. So yeah. you, yeah. they bounced like crazy and they never went fast. You never thought they were going fast ever. And it was like, it was just so embarrassingly badly handled. And also yeah. from a plot point of view, he stops, which, you know, was one, literally one millimeter away from a bag of manure falling on his head at the end. Oh, yeah, it was total. Yeah. Yeah. They again, did that with the, with the mangoes falling in the, exactly. in the car. Yeah. I mean, it was literally like a millimeter back away the from me and manure, but, yeah. um, but then, uh, you know, Boba Fett just lands there with his jetpack. Well, hello. <laughs> what do we get all this trouble of a chase sequence for? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I think it's, uh, uh yeah, the anyway. use of the jetpacks too, like it's so selective. Like it's like, why, why, if you have a jetpack and you can use it, like, You'd use it a oh, lot more than I mean. It's like they why even get me started on these these <laughs> the laser weapons that, that are worse stuff. than bullets. Yeah. yeah. Can we talk like, about why Mandalorian did not use the dark saber to deflect late the blaster bolts? I mean, he's got the well, dark saber. We know saber. about that from the good episode where he doesn't know how yet to wield it. No, I know, but it's it's, it's just like you know, I don't know. I did love episode that episode. Five. Yeah. Episode five. Can we go back to episode five for a second? Yeah. Right? So like, just ditch this horrible thing which one was back five? To episode five can he refresh five was the one where he goes to the to the the ship and meets the other mandos for the forge when he forges the the um mithril basically for uh oh and he fights Grogu. against that like action figure guy yeah it's mm-hmm. that giant uh in space um circular yeah, thing the ring from, yeah that Halo. What was that film? <laughs> Elysium. Yeah. Elysium, yeah. The Elysium. Elysium ring. And I, I thought that was really good. I thought like the as if like the suddenly they dropped a ton of money. Because it was Stu Mashowitz who put me on this, right? I one day Stu was like saying that he really liked the show Project Runway. Now, before you like criticize him for his I um, love Project Runway. Okay, but I anyway, used to. I don't anyway, watch it anymore. What about yeah. this? Before you jump on him being like whether or not Stu is the most fashion-forward visual effects supervisor ever. Before I could even get something out of my mouth, he said, you know, the reason why I like that show so much is they have the same amount of money and some have production value at the end and some don't. And it was like, in his mind, it was a perfect case of you have exactly the same conditions, exactly the same money, exactly the same opportunities, and somebody makes a piece that looks like literally would be you know, thousands of dollars to buy it. And the other one looks like, you know, all they've done is picking up, picked up bits off the floor and then sort of put them over their shoulder. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's as cheap as you'd get from a a discount store. 
So I feel like if I found out they had the same budget for episode five as every other budget, I would be floored. But if they did, boy, they used it better mm -hmm. because that episode at the beginning when he's trying to, he does that whole thing about um, attacking the meat workers. Yeah. And then comes oh, that was out great. Just wonderful. And then he's underneath and he's fighting and like there's, there's law and there's interest. And I mean, I just thought it was so well directed. Although I um, do, I do take issue with, you know, in Star Wars, generally, everyone who's not human generally kind of doesn't speak English. And in Mandalorian, and especially Boba Fett, but in the in that, in that meatpacking scene, the guy like head boss, he goes to say, are you the guy I'm basically here to bounty hunt? what looked like a pit bull and he was yeah. like kind of like the, the the brooklyn like i don't have to come get you nothing you know like come <laughs> after me and it's, they did that throughout the series and it was a little like you know i did like the hammerhead kind of translator thing that was fun uh very dune style but um uh what was i gonna say i did i did that was that was um blocked very well Cause like, you know, you see his, you see his, his, um, silhouette and my kid goes, oh shit, it's Mandalorian. Look, it's a spear. You know, like they gave you just enough visual information to get excited. And then he does his entrance and you're like, yeah, you know, this is going to be great. Super fun. Finally Mandalorian. Uh, um, what was I going to, I was going to say something else. <laughs> the, 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 the dark saber thing is interesting and i thought they played it well in that uh like sort of battle sequence where you know if you, you have you have to control the blade don't let the blade control you which was sort of like a thor's hammer thing so when the other guy sort of beats mando and he picks up the saber he can't really fight him with it um which would seem like a clunky story point but it, it actually totally works do you guys know, or you, did you watch the Clone Wars cartoony sort of show? No. I mean, some of it. I, I did not, but Me my neither. kids did. Um, and they say that there was just masses amount of um, backstory and stuff that connect up all these things, you know. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and so I'm sure if you were into that, that a lot of these things are real treats, especially the uh, thing that I'd like to finish on because running out of time, which is, in the same instance as the Dark Sword, which is from the uh, Clone Wars TV show, the guy that is the gunslinger that comes in at the end of um, mm -hmm. episode, uh, yeah. yeah. What did you think of him? Just as uh, now visual effects, forget. Dude, he was so good. I loved. I as soon as he showed up and they did the, uh, uh, you know, Lee Van Cleef kind of outlaw Josie Wales thing, I was like, I'm in. Like this, I. I, if you're going to go there, just go all the way. And I thought he was like, I'm not super familiar with him as a character. I've seen him before and stuff, but like, I thought he looked fantastic. He looked prosthetic uh, as much as he looked like a visual effect. Like the sun hit him really well, his eyes and his teeth and, you know, everything, the production design of him as a character was great. Like he didn't feel hokey. He felt, uh, like a villain as soon as you saw him it wasn't like he lifted up the brim of his hat and you were like oh that's kind of that's funny like you were like oh shit something's gonna happen you know like I don't know I, I 
and his voice was great. Um, it was, yeah, a, it was like it was like half that? Morgan Freeman. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I thought I thought I don't I didn't know anything about that character. I'm not familiar with that that from the other uh, ancillary. Uh, He's the Darth Vader of the Clone Wars. Oh, okay, so I mean, I I thought you know the the use of that character and certainly the kind of you know Sergio Leone style, Clint Eastwood style, you know. Uh, showdown it, it felt kind of rango-esque and the execution of the character was really cool um looking um i agree it did look like a like a prosthetic mask but it had a really nice movement around the mouth with those kind of really uh grim teeth i think that you know it's one of those things where um leaning really f- heavy into that kind of western gunslinger kind of vibe in those particular sequences was something that was really interesting and it made me think about what would have made a great show <laughs> with this character it would be this idea of boba fett being this character who you know is kind of the man with no name right but instead he's you know the guy who has to become like the ultimate disney dad or something and it's like yeah kind of, it's just kind of lame you know he talked of, yeah the man with no name, but who talked a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I thought, I thought that uh, character was really interesting. I think they did the, the brim of the hat thing one too many times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but other than that, uh, and the, and his gun, the, the, the hilt of his gun uh, looked literally like a, an yeah. old West style. Yeah, uh, yeah. I thought it was a little on the nose. It was a little too yeah. <laughs> direct. Um, I would have liked it to have been slightly more, uh, motivated and uh, and also i i um i loved it in indiana jones when the guy comes out with the sword mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. indy just goes oh forget this and pulls out his gun and just shoots him right and like in some of these sequences i'm like well you just threatened this guy and now you're walking away like why don't you just shoot him you know what i mean like it's like uh, in austin powers like i'll just go and shoot him right now no i want a incredibly complicated way to, <laughs> for him to die so that he might be able to escape no no i'll just go and shoot him now no 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 no, no you can't do that it's too obvious <laughs> so anyway yeah but yes i think uh disney dad with no name is almost the name of this episode now uh... there are just too many there were too many uh like think things that felt in this in this series i think there were just too many things that felt like they were moments that they're like, oh, this will be a great moment that we can create in the context of the larger story because we can use this thing that'll be some great fan service thing yeah. where people will recognize it and it'll be like, oh, how cool that they did that rather than focusing on character story. Yeah. Except for episode five and six, which were really yes. good. <laughs> can, I, can I also say that even though I know, I think they mention it in Solo and I think it's mentioned in some like, ancillary ways in star wars they it was an odd choice to really lean into the spice trade uh after Mm -hmm. dune and everything like especially since dune was clearly way before star wars george lucas when he wrote it clearly took the spice angle from that and that's cool everybody does it but like it was an interesting thing to like make the spice trade the the hinging plot of this you know I, I don't uh, think they earned it. I, I don't think. I don't think we saw devastated people and a town suffering from. No, no, like I'm not saying they did. I'm just saying, but the concept no. of the spice trade was the but whole you thing. You could have done the didn't... whole. Um, instead of like lifting a shot from a pre-existing TV show, you could have lifted the um, the epidemic of you know uh, obituary and uh, like overprescription of yeah, um, yeah. Uh, drugs 
that has you know taxed so many American cities and um, and that would have been more interesting, right? Like if the town was actually in decline because of the spice trade, and right. and he, but it just seemed like a pretty good town to me. Um, <laughs> anyway, we have to finish up there. Um, we've run out of time, but uh, I want to say how much I've enjoyed talking to you guys again, as always, my friends. So great to see you. Uh, I guess quickly, Jason, where can people track you down, find you, follow you? Uh, thediamondbros.com and our virtual production venture uh partners in brooklyn zero space.co i'm looking forward to talking to you more about that when yes. we can and uh matt my friend what about you uh you can find me at my website mattwallen.com and um i has still have uh i think 53 54 episodes of uh the 8111 podcast up which interviews with uh people who worked at ILM, some uh, people whose names you'll definitely recognize and many who you won't. And it's really just kind of about uh, the people. And um, I haven't been doing any of them lately. And this is the first show I've done in a few, several months now, but because uh, I've been kind of sick, I'm uh, just for what it's worth, it's not really like, I mean, it sounds like a really big deal. I guess it is a big deal, but it's not. It is a big deal. But I'm, I'm uh, being treated for uh, a form of leukemia, which uh, is super exciting. <laughs> and um, it was pretty rough for a couple of months, but I'm feeling like I'm uh, hopefully on the road to uh, recovery for, for a time being at least. Yeah, and we really appreciate you doing uh, this show. And of course, uh, we hope to have you back whenever it's appropriate, as soon as possible, as many times sure. as possible. Um, but yeah, and of course, I'm uh, over at FX Guide and I just want to thank uh, the team at FX Guide, John and, and uh, Jim and everybody. Uh, and uh, we will see you guys soon. I, I really honestly think we're going to have to call this the Disney Dad uh, with no name. But, um, <laughs> until next time, guys. See ya. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at vfx at fxguide.com. Copyright FX Guide, LLC.